Well, hey, good morning, church. My name is Glenn Griner, privileged to be on staff here at Union Chapel. Welcome to the party. We're so glad you've joined us, whether in the room or on the line. Hey, I wanted to give you a little heads up. There's a lot of our team that is in Phoenix, Arizona. And so you can silently pray with me that they would all get sun poisoning while they're there. <laughs> but actually, they're doing something very important. They, we are actually hosting a church planting conference right in the middle of Phoenix. Did you know that we have over 30 people that we are coaching to plant churches through our church, through our church? That's a great, great thing. We celebrate God's goodness. Yeah, yeah. The gospel is going out because of you, because of your generosity, because of your love and your passion for Jesus. You make it all possible. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Today, I want to talk about making life measure up. And and we're going to unpack a a good amount of scripture, but the primary text we're going to focus on is Luke 6, verse 36 through 40. So if you're able, would you join me on my feet? Here we stand in honor of reading God's word here at Union Chapel. So if you're able, thank you for standing. Verse 36, it says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Jesus also told in this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Thank you. You may be seated. So today we're going to start off by talking about disappointment, which is just a wonderful way to start a sermon, right? Talking about disappointment. And, but disappointment is a part of life, isn't it? It's so easy for us to get frustrated with ourselves, to get frustrated with other people, and to get frustrated with our circumstances. And you know what it's like to, to be thumbing around on your phone and, and you realize that that your friends are in Phoenix where it's hot and sunny, or you're looking at someone else's vacation and they're dipping their toes in the waters of Hawaii, and you're dipping your toes in the mud in your backyard. And so, or you can look at your car and think, well, it's not as nice as that car. Or you're, you can look at your house or your kitchen, and all of a sudden it's like you see it just doesn't measure up. It's not as nice as you were hoping it would be. But you know what? You don't have to be on social media to feel like life isn't measuring up. Maybe you're not where you thought you would be financially. Maybe the job that you have just doesn't feel like a good fit for you. Maybe your relationships don't look like you were really hoping that they would. And of course, maybe you're kind of stressed about your schedule. And to give us some background to understanding you know, this whole concept of the measure that we use is the measure that comes back to us Jesus actually gave us some specific examples to look at. This is all part of Jesus' first message that he's recorded in the book of Luke. In Luke 6.20, I want to put that on the screen here. And so Jesus is looking at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, that's Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. 
for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But Jesus went on to say, he said, but woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And so Jesus' first sermon is about blessings and woes. And this word blessing, it carries with it this really powerful connotation like supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, or even to be envied. And so how does Jesus describe supremely blessed and envy? Well, poor, hungry, weeping, and when everyone hates you, excludes you, insults you, and counts your name as evil. Those are the people who are supremely blessed. And then he switches gears with the exact same topics, and he says, woe. And this is not like, whoa, this is like, whoa, whoa unto you, whoa. And so this is exclamation of grief or like, oh, no, we're doomed. It's awful. Or maybe you could put this by it. Oh, I feel so bad for you. I'm so sorry. And so for those of you who are rich, oh, that's terrible. If you're full, oh, I feel so bad for you. If you're laughing, oh, my heart breaks for you. And when you're so popular, that's awful. But what is Jesus saying? Because all these things can be good things, can't they? You see, money and power and popularity, they can't bring us true fulfillment and they can't bring us peace. So what I think Jesus is doing is he's reaching through these pages and he's grabbing us by the shoulders and he's yanking our chain. And so here's the challenge. See this challenge on the screen. Don't settle for success and security and acceptance when Jesus has more than you can ever imagine waiting for you. In other words, let me push back. Don't settle for what everybody else wants. That's where we naturally gravitate to. And so Jesus, he's tackling the lies we believe about life and happiness and contentment and fulfillment. And so here's this thought, which doesn't doesn't sit well, I promise. You can't trust your feelings to bring the best out of your life. And I'm seeing some heads nod because there are some times when you trusted your feelings and, oh my gosh, did you ever pay for that? God is saying, I've got something better than money, better than food, better than laughter, and better than being popular. And when we think about all those things and money and popularity and success, we can't help but think about King Solomon. I mean, the man had it all. You see, God came to Solomon before he was king, and he did like the whole genie in a bottle thing, except you have one wish. And so Solomon, his wish was for wisdom. And God said, because you didn't wish for success or the death of your enemies, or lots of money, I'm going to give all those to you, and I'm going to give you wisdom. And man, did Solomon have it. In fact, he had more money than anybody who's ever lived. He had worldwide fame that we can't even wrap our minds around, power and admiration. There's three books of the Bible that are attributed to Solomon. The first one is Proverbs, which could be summarized, how to live. And the second one is the Song of Solomon, which could be summarized, how to love. And the third one is Ecclesiastes, and I'm stretching just a little bit, but it could be summarized by Solomon saying, how I messed everything up. And so don't mess everything up. Don't let Ecclesiastes be the description of your life. And Jesus tells us how to do that. He tells us how to make our lives count. I want you to see Luke 6, 38 as it comes up on the screen. 
And it says these words. You've probably heard them before. It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. And here's the big statement. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so Jesus, he's giving them a visual illustration of something that they could all identify with. Being in the market, an outdoor market. And whenever you go shopping, it's not like they could go to the dollar store and buy a four-cup scoop. It's not like they could buy, you know, a graduated scale or anything. And so it was just like some weights that say, hey, this is about this much, this is about this much. And so people knew when they went to the market, they knew whose cup was just a little bit bigger than the other person's. And what Jesus is saying is that you get to choose what you get. You get to choose what comes in to you, which is pretty cool. And I want to put this verse back up on the screen again, Luke 6, 38. And so it says, give, and it will be given to you. Now, we like to skip past the give, and we like to get to the fun part, the preachy part, the good measure, the press down, the shaking together, the running over and poured into your lap part. That's where we like to go. But there's a reason that it's there. You see, The word give, it's an imperative command. Here's what giving does. It breaks the curse of selfishness that we all struggle with so that we can experience the kind of peace, contentment, and extravagant joy that can only be found in God. And so here's, I'm going to push hard. So when circumstances are challenging, when your life doesn't measure up, stop looking at what's happening to you and look more closely about what's happening through you. So when life doesn't measure up, you need to measure out. And so Jesus, he's comparing our hearts to a measure, and apparently your measure and my measure is flexible. And it seems like as you get older, yes, this is personal experience, everything is less flexible, including the measure of our hearts. So some of you've got to, oh, you've got to give and stretch hard. (laughs) And when you give, you increase the capacity of your own heart to give more, but you also increase God's capacity to pour into you. The great irony is that the more you're worried about what you get, the less you'll be able to receive from God. And so I love this challenge from Jesus. He's telling you, flex your measure, flex your measure, make what's going out increase. And when you flex your measure, God will flex his in your life. Now, before I thought of this figuratively, you know, kind of like the whole karma thing, and just so you know, karma's not in the Bible, you know, and I was so proud of myself, I had a little rhyme going, the measure you use is the measure you choose. There's one problem, is that it's wrong. It's not right. That's not how it works. You know, people are generally nice to you if you're generally nice to them. If you're mean to them, they're mean to you. Well, that part is generally true. But what Jesus is talking about here is so much bigger. It's so much more than that. Now I read Jesus' words literally. Your generosity unlocks God's generosity. And so when you do what you can, then God will do what he can. And there's some specific things that we read in this scripture, you know, the the blessings and the woes that I want to unpack a little bit. And the first one is this, has to do with money. So when your finances don't measure up, give money. Yeah, I feel the tension in the room already. All right, so take a deep breath. It's just the first point. We'll be through it, and then we can move on. 
And so if you feel like this church is just coming after you, we just want your money, you're like, it's, it's going to be okay. This is zero pressure from us. Because to be honest, there's a room full of people and a room, rooms full of people tuning in online who actually get this concept. They realize that I'm not going to live without God's blessing in my life financially, so I'm going to give. I'm going to give. And, and so we don't necessarily need your money, but what you need, you need to give back to God so that he can give to you to a greater degree. And it's a powerful, powerful principle. And so here's a news flash. Sometimes we think God needs our money, and that is really, really funny. Because actually everything belongs to God, including your money, including you, including your life and everything in it. It all belongs to God. In all honesty, I know a specific pastor who will remain nameless, who sometimes imagines, you know, the cup that's running over, that the, it's just dollar bills floating out. You know, well, that's not the picture that God's tried to paint to us, is it? See, God has something for you that's better than money. He has something for you that's better than cash, peace and contentment and joy. Now, we're continually bombarded from our culture and our own flesh that we need more. We've got to have more. To be happy, we need more. And no one can touch King Solomon when it comes to this. When we're studying Solomon, uh, I decided to ask Google, see if she knew the answer to this. And she did. I was impressed. I said, hey, Google, what is King Solomon's net worth? And you know what she told me? 2.1 trillion dollars. Trillion with a T. Now, you guys are going to be so amazed at my math skills because that's over 2,000 billion. (laughs) That's over 2 million millions. But the reason I describe that is because he had more money than you could ever imagine. I mean, he, he could buy Walmart, Amazon, Facebook, TikTok, and just throw in the internet there and still have so much money left over that he's going to make Elon Musk look just like your neighbor. And what did Solomon say about all of this at the end of his life? You can read about it in Ecclesiastes. Vanity. It's all chasing after the wind. It's all useless. So you think money's going to make you happy. You think the message that everyone's sending you, the message that our culture keeps pounding into us, you need more money to be happy, you need more money to be happy, go ahead and knock yourself out. Maybe you'll match Solomon. Maybe you'll earn more than him. I doubt it. But if you go for that, if that's your goal, you will find exactly what he found. And it's not good. It's not good. And so we want to trust God with our money. Because when we give to God, I don't know how it works, but when we give to God, we have more. You have to be wise. You have to be diligent. So the application isn't give a little bit of money to Jesus and take that same amount of money and go buy a lottery ticket. That's not how it works. God's got something better than money for you and for me. Did you know that there's a one-week class that we have offered here at Union Chapel literally for decades maybe 20 years. We offer at the beginning of the year and sometimes a little more frequently than that and it has to do with money. And I see some of you nodding your heads because it's financial peace with Dave Ramsey. Why do people keep taking this class? We've offered it more than any other class in the history of our church. I'll tell you why, because money is the biggest stressor that we have and it doesn't have to be that way. He shows us how to 
honor God with what he's given us. And so that's a good thing. It's a helpful thing. All right, so we're done with money. Take a deep breath. You can, you can relax a little bit. But the next thing that I want to talk about is this. Check it out on the screen. You see, when your schedule doesn't measure up, give time. Friends, how we spend our time affects us in profound ways. What kind of measure are you using with your time? You see, time, it's the most precious commodity because when we lose it, we can't get it back. We can't store it. We can't earn more of it, and we can't buy it. And so the busier you are, the more important it is to balance your time. And I'm talking to tons and tons of busy, busy people. Here's an interesting fact about King Solomon's life. We learned that he spent seven years building God's temple. This is early on in his reign. And so when Solomon was building God's temple, it just unlocked the generosity and the love and, the, and God's people. So the people of Israel, they, they showered him with, with money and all kinds of resources to honor God and build his temple. And it was a beautiful thing and joy and expectation filled the land. And then when the temple finally opened, oh my goodness, love and worship of God filled the land and it was a wonderful, wonderful place to be. So that kind of represented seven years of Solomon's life. Do you ever wonder how long Solomon spent building his own palace? That would be 13 years. Yeah, a little bit out of balance there, huh? And so 13 years, he established more money, more possessions. He just kept building and building. He actually had an addiction to horses, and he bought like 40,000 horses, so he had to build stables and ranches for his horses. He built parks all to his name and statues to his name and buildings all in his name. And so for the rest of Solomon's life, you know what happened to him? He accumulated more money. He had more possessions, more wives, more experiences, and more emptiness which is a pretty stark message to us to be intentional how we measure out our time. Because most of us, we're kind of in survival mode, aren't we? We're more reactive than proactive with our schedule. So I want to challenge you to measure your time. This is everyone's favorite point. Are you ready? This is way better than the money thing. You're going to like this a lot more. You have to measure rest into your schedule. You have to plan to rest. In fact, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. In fact, some of you, I think, are doing it right now. (laughs) This doesn't mean that you can't use social media. It doesn't mean you can't watch TV. It doesn't mean you can't read a book. But the point is this. Measure your time wisely. Because I'm talking to people who know what it's like to look up from the tube three hours later, or you've been thumbing on your phone, and, you know, your thumbs hurt, and your neck is numb from looking down for so long. And so you can use those things, but plan your time wisely, wisely. Think about how you're going to start your day. And for me, I don't start my day with contemplation. I'm kind of a get up and go kind of guy. And so I get up and get running. But my time to stop is when I'm eating breakfast. And I'll sit down at the kitchen table and I'll open up my Bible app and I'll read my verse of the day and listen to the description. And somehow when they're talking about this verse I don't know how it works, but God begins to speak to me about that Bible verse and apply it to my life. And sometimes I'm not even paying that much attention to the person talking about the verse. And then I follow it up with a few minutes of prayer. 
And if I know I've got some stressful things to do that day, some things that kind of make me groan on the inside, I crank up some worship music. So that's going on in the background. It helps feed my spirit. And so that's planning God into your schedule. And I'm talking to the A-team because you choose to tune in every week. You try to be here in person, in the room, shoulder to shoulder with other believers, encouraging one another, worshiping God together, and it's experiencing him together, and it blesses our lives. Have you ever thought about why Serve Week is so meaningful? Now, the cold, hard facts about Serve is it is extremely difficult. Like we're talking shovel to dry, hard ground. We are talking working hard. We're talking pulling weeds. We're talking cutting grass. We're talking all kinds of manual labor, paint and poison ivy and all kinds of craziness that you can't imagine. All that goes on during serve week. And then at the end of the day, there's a time of worship and fellowship and connection. But did you know that we have more students than ever who've signed up to be a part of serve? How can that be? I mean, I've just told you what we do during serve. How can so many students sign up for that? Because word's gotten out. And here's what's happening behind the scenes. Students and adults, there's even adults who take their week of vacation to do serve. They offer this huge chunk of time to God. And here's what God does. Oh, yeah, I know you're going to be exhausted at the end of this week. But here's more blessing, more contentment, more peace, more life than you could ever imagine as you offer yourself to him in that way. So you get it. Be careful how you measure your time. And our third thought is this, is when your relationship doesn't measure up, give love. And Solomon, oh my goodness, he was such a failure in this regard. You know, Solomon had 700 wives. Oh my goodness. The Bible also said he had 300 concubines. I have no idea what a concubine is, but I assume it's like a legal girlfriend or something. There's actually a book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon. It's a book about love and romance, marriage, commitment, and desire. In fact, there's even parallels in this book that help you understand God's passion and his love and his desire for you personally. But Solomon was a colossal failure when it came to relationships. No commitment, no closeness, no devotion. He had a thousand partners. I mean, if you're going to spend one day with each of your partners, it would take you like three years to make all that happen. I mean, that's pure selfishness and ego and convenience. Okay, back to real world relationships like yours and mine, because you know, hopefully you don't have like a thousand partners. That's not going to go well for you if you do, but... And so we've been talking about our measure, the measure of our heart and how it's flexible. And sometimes, stick with me, sometimes you can feel your measure shrink. If you've been in a relationship, you know what it's like to have someone shrink your measure. Now, don't nudge and say, you shrunk my measure. So wives, you know what it's like when your hubby, your beloved, he's the last one in the restroom that night and he leaves the toilet seat up. And you come in there in the middle of the night, and as soon as your cheeks hit that cold porcelain, your measure goes, you can almost hear it. Husbands, you know what it's like? It's a beautiful day. The windows are down. You're driving together with your girl. You're holding hands. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then she looks at you with a smile and a wink and says, hey, why don't you slow down a little bit? And then your measure goes in that Smile turns upside down and somehow your foot gets a little bit heavier. 
Now, wouldn't it be great if all of our relationship problems were as easy to fix as toilet seat positions and driving habits? But the reality of it is, is that bitterness and resentment, it closes our hearts. It damages our relationships. You see, when you hold on to bitterness, you can't receive love. You can't receive love from your partner and you can't receive love from God. You've let your heart shrink so that even their attempts to love you won't be perceived. In order to receive love, step one, step one is to give it. Maybe you've been in a relationship before and you had a little bit of conflict and you were separated for a time, you know? So you're, you're kind of, maybe you, one, if you went to work or you're out with friends or doing something, anyway. And so things didn't go well before you parted ways. And before you come back together, when you imagine what that's gonna be like, if you imagine, I'm gonna tell them just like it was and set all this stuff right. And, and, and so what you're doing is you're closing your heart in that moment. And rather than first thing, tell them how it is, you need to open up your heart and show them love because that sets you free. It sets you free to receive love from them. It unlocks their love for you. And it also unlocks the blessing of God in your own life. Selfless love unlocks the blessing of God. Will it always be easy? No. Will it always be worth it? Absolutely. And the same principle, it can be applied to all of our relationships. That's right. Uh, For parents and children, maybe sometimes as a child, you have a hard time opening up to your parents. Maybe it's because there's some tension or maybe you need to give some love to them to open up that communication. Maybe parents to children, you know, your encouragement, support, and when you pour into them, it unlocks their hearts for you. And I hate to say it, but the same thing is true with your crazy boss or that professor or teacher of yours that you just can't connect with. Open up your heart. Let God pour into you. Okay, you get it. And probably the biggest thought today is this one. Check it out on the screen. When God doesn't measure up, give him all that you are. Now, when I say that, I'm looking in the room and I know there's some of you, you've like got your fist ready because you're you're saying God doesn't measure up because I'm talking to people, you know that God reigns supreme, that he is holy, that he is blameless, that he is above all else, that he's perfect in all his ways. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent. Everything good comes from God. He's never wrong, he's never forgetful, he never needs grace because he is the source of grace. But here's the problem. Sometimes we feel like God lets us down. Sometimes we feel like our expectations of him aren't met. Look at Solomon. I mean, his wisdom, it was a literal gift from God. He had every worldly pleasure and accomplishment you could imagine, but he decided to make it all about himself, and he was miserable. You can read in 1 Kings 11 about Solomon's tragic end to his life. He wasn't murdered. He didn't die young. But this is a significant thing that happened to Solomon. God appeared to him. He said, Solomon, come back to me. (laughs) Repent of your ways. Come to me. Come to me. And Solomon didn't. And then God came a second time. Asked Solomon to come to him. Solomon died without God in his life. He died in rebellion. 
So friends, don't settle for whatever life has to offer you. You see, if your feelings, if your satisfaction and your contentment are the focus of your relationship with God, then you will come up empty and dry and unfulfilled every time. I mean, to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, I mean, have you, have you ever thought about, hey, by the way, hey to everybody who's tuning in and you don't want to be here. You know who you are. You know, your grandparents made you come or your parents made you come or maybe you're sitting and watching with your boyfriend because you know, if I don't watch with him, he's going to make me pay. And so, and so you do that for them. And so, and so I'm glad you're here. But maybe, maybe you've just kind of checked things out a little bit and maybe it doesn't really click with you. And it's probably because of this principle, because you're coming to God for yourself. And the point of all this is to come to God for him. Because that's what this generosity, that's what this act of giving is. You open up your heart for the sake of the Lord and you give to him. You give him all that you are, then he can pour into you. So when you're least worried about yourself, that's when you get to experience the most that God has for you. Well, some of you, you're not bored in your relationship with God, but you're angry. You're mad at God. Someone you loved died. There's a sickness that you're dealing with. Your world at work has been turned upside down. Or maybe you're just struggling to make ends meet. And you think, God, how could you let this happen? I want you to know that pain and disappointment is one of the number one reasons people like you and me end up walking away from God. We don't offer our pain to the Lord. I was talking to a friend of mine who's undergoing some kind of brutal treatment, has some pretty rough side effects going on. And in the midst of all of it, you know, she sensed God's peace and then she didn't sense his peace. And we were processing that together. And while she was talking to me, these words from Jesus on the cross came to my mind, but I couldn't mention them in the moment. I mean, she, she felt left alone. And the words that came to my mind were, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And that's translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thought, Lord, how could I share this verse with her? Because that's how she feels. She feels forsaken by you. She feels like you have left her all alone in the worst moments of her life. She feels alone. But then it hit me. Not only did Jesus die on the cross to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin. He paid for our own forsakenness. Because Jesus felt like God abandoned him, but God didn't. And here's how we know, because God raised Jesus up from the dead. And just like God raised Jesus up, Jesus, he will raise you up. So you can experience resurrection forgiveness, resurrection power, and resurrection peace that the world can't comprehend. It is yours because of Jesus. So here's the challenge, friends. The challenge is bring all that you are to Jesus. You can bring your pain and your hurt and your disappointment. Bring it all to him. Let him meet you where you are. Bring your boredom. Bring your selfishness. Everything that you are, lay it down for Jesus. See, all of a sudden we realize what Jesus is talking about when he says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full and laughing and popular. Obviously the solution isn't 
poverty, sadness, and being hated, but giving in all of its forms. So friends, open up your heart. Open up your heart and experience the wonder of God. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And as they're coming up, a little summary. If your finances don't measure up, give money. If your schedule doesn't measure up, give time. If your relationships don't measure up, give love. And if God doesn't measure up, give him all that you are. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are so patient. Thank you that you are slow to anger. Thank you that you are abounding in loving kindness. And so together we ask right now that you would forgive us. Forgive us for chasing money. Forgive us for chasing ease and popularity. Forgive us for putting ourselves ahead of you and ahead of others. Forgive us for blaming you for our circumstances. And so by the power of your spirit, help us open up the measure of our hearts so that we can generously give and generously receive from you, God. So let your blessing come. So Jesus, come heal our finances, heal our relationship, and heal our connection with you. So friends, what is God calling you to change this week about your life? Is it to do with your time, your relationships, your money? Or maybe it's just coming to him. God's got something better for you. Offer yourself to him. In fact, some of you, maybe you've made the decision that you're ready right now to commit yourself to Jesus. You've realized that you've made it all about you and that's why you've been empty. That's why you've been unfulfilled and that's why you don't get it. And today you get it for the first time. And I want you to know that this church is filled with people who love you and they want to pray for you and pray with you. In fact, we're all going to pray out loud with you if you want to make this commitment to Jesus. So here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I give all of my life to you. My pain is yours. My sin is yours. My successes are yours. So open up my heart to give all that I am so I can receive all that you are. Fill me, Holy Spirit, so I can live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, church, let's stand to our feet. We serve a God who's worthy of praise.